And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we do ask for your help. It's only in your light that we see light. It's only as you reveal your truth to us that we walk in the way of truth. And so teach us and guide us today. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. It is good to be back with you after several weeks of traveling around the southeast. We were touring colleges in a quasi-post-pandemic world and also attending a family wedding. And through the month of July, we have given our attention to this one passage from the book of Acts. And in giving our attention to this one passage from Acts chapter 2, we've seen that we can give our attention to the gospel of Luke and also to the entire book of Acts. But here we have explored the foundations of the church's life. And we've seen that there were four things that the church was committed to. That they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. And it is these four things that the church was committed to. But yet these four different things all complement one another, and they collide and intersect with one another in this place, the gathering of the church, as the church comes together for its corporate expression of worship. And so this morning, this is our focus, considering the worshiping community. Now, during my time at Second Presbyterian, where I served as an assistant minister for a number of years, we worked through a similar preaching series in 2005, and we arrived at the Sunday in which we would address worship. And during the early service, the 8.15, it was customary for us to have a children's sermon. And this is where one of the staff members would gather with the kids on the steps in front of the church. You've seen this before. And share with the kids a small synopsis, a summary of the sermon that was to come. The pastor that day who was sharing the children's sermon was also the missions pastor. And so he told the kids all about worship on other continents in Africa and South America. And one of the things he highlighted was that they were not as restricted when it came to time. And so trying to juxtapose that, he then asked the children this fatal question. He said, so how long do our services last? And one of the children promptly responded, forever. (laughs) And that critique has been long-standing in the church. If you were to look in Acts chapter 20, you would find that a young man in Troas, while the apostle Paul was visiting, fell asleep during Paul's sermon. He actually fell out of the window of the upper room in which they they were meeting. Paul had dragged on until midnight. And so in terms of critique, we can never really say forever here at Christ Church, but it is important 
to just highlight it because perhaps like me, you stayed up a little bit too late chasing the Olympics every night this week, waiting for that one more event. And of course, we've never had any violent head nodding here or people falling out, drooling during a sermon that's never happened. But it's important for us just to get straight to it, to talk about a worshiping community today, to consider three things about our life together as we gather week by week on every seventh day to offer praise and thanksgiving to God. And so we'll consider three things here. The first is that we'll look at is the dynamic of our worship, and we'll also consider the content of that worship, and then finally, the catalyst of that worship. So let's look at each of those in turn. First, the dynamic of our worship. If you follow in verses 46 and 47, we find here a summary of this early church's life that is to be programmatic for us. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Does this brief description of their daily activities that have some historical context and they were gathering at the temple complex. That is not in the temple itself, but in the complex. We know from chapter 3 that they were gathered at Solomon's portico in particular. It was a convenient, central place for them to come together and to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and to the fellowship. They were also through the week in one another's homes, and they were committed to this life together, and we're told that they have glad and generous hearts. But we see two important words here, praising God. It's the description of their life together, particularly as they gathered. Now, this is simple, but it's also incredibly important for us as a community to see that as the early church gathered together for worship, that it was not a passive activity. Robert Weber, the liturgical scholar who served at uh, Wheaton College for many years, wrote a book entitled, and captures the dynamic of worship that's so important for us. The book is titled, Worship is a Verb. <laughs> Weber was weary of living inside of churches where worship was something passively attended to. It was something watched. And this is the inescapable point for us, that worship is not something that you watch as an audience as if you were at a performance, not something you just take in. And worship is not something you listen to as if you were a student at a lecture. And worship is also not something you consume as if you were a guest at a restaurant. No, worship is a communal spiritual exercise in which we engage in a full body workout all together. And in that full body workout, you'll have moments of high intensity. You'll have moments of quiet reflection. You'll have moments perhaps of grief and sadness. And you'll have moments of joy and celebration. That worship involves all of this which involves all of you participating actively. And this is the dynamic of Christian worship. It requires this active participation. Now second, we'll consider then the content of that worship as we actively engage with it. 
Verse 42, as we said, we find these four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. This is a wonderful summary that provides us with the structure and the content of Christian worship. We're always to pay attention to these things and know that this historical summary gives us the cues for what we are to be doing. It's devotion to the apostles' teaching. That is, giving attention to the reading and preaching of the Scriptures. Whenever the Scriptures fall off, we can be sure that the worship of God is not being engaged. There's devotion to the fellowship. And when we use the word fellowship here, we're not just simply talking about friendship. That is part of it. But this word in the original language is a rich and contextual term. And what this involves us in is the sharing in of life together as a community. It's the sharing in Christian mission. It's the sharing in one another's well-being. And of course, it's the sharing also in friendship. But it includes generosity and financial stewardship. That there's fellowship that takes place as we gather for worship. There's devotion to the breaking of bread. And this is a reference to the Lord's Supper. It's not just a meal around any table in particular, but it's the meal that Jesus institutes in Luke 24 in which he blesses and breaks and the disciples recognize him and he grants them his peace. It is the gospel, not simply for the ear, but it is the gospel for all of our other faculties. And it is in this meal, as we break bread and as we take the cup, that Jesus signifies and Jesus seals all of his good promises to us. And finally, there's devotion to the prayers. And it is this activity of praying that goes throughout a service. Typically, we just think of prayers that happen in the pastoral intercession when we give you a bidding and invite you to pray. Those are very important, and that is an important and critical set of prayers in which we engage with the church throughout time, praying for a set number of things that God commands us specifically in Scripture to pray for. But it's also important to recognize that you can look at the whole of a service, and you can consider that that whole service <laughs> is one of prayer. I told you it was going to be weird today, okay? That was not a gimmick. There's no smoked machine about to come on, I promise But the entire service is one that is devoted to prayer. We begin the service with an invocation. That is calling on God simply for help. It's invoking God, saying we need help to do this. We continue through the service in prayer, confessing and acknowledging our wrongs to God. We then sing God's praise throughout the service. And friends, it's really important to recognize that when we sing to God, hymns are simply sung prayers. And so we announce his praise, we confess our sins, we ask for his help, we do all kinds of things inside of the songs and the prayers that we sing. We say prayers of help to God. Help me. Help me work through this. And then we say prayers on behalf of our world and on behalf of other people, even asking God to bless our enemies. There's all kinds of prayers that take place inside of Christian worship. So this is not shallow stuff. It's not trivial. We have a lot of content that's assigned to Christian worship. 
And it's certainly something that you and I cannot accomplish with just simply one emotion. No, we each have to come ready to engage in that spiritual exercise of communal worship. We must be ready to celebrate with joy. We must be ready to grieve and lament our sins. We must be ready to lament the hard things of life that go on in our community, sickness and sadness and death. We must be ready to give thanks to God for grace that goes beyond our comprehension and understanding. We must be ready to be disrupted and to be challenged by God, to walk out of the doors thinking something differently because we want to learn to think God's thoughts after him. We have to be ready to receive comfort and assurance from God. We have to be ready to reflect in thoughtful silence. And we have to be ready to earnestly ask God for help. It is all that kind of emotion, all those different gears that we have to be ready to engage with God in, in a Christian service of worship, because that's what the content demands of us. And so this is the content of worship. And finally, we'll consider the catalyst of this worship. If we have this dynamic that takes place, that requires our active participation, and then if we have all this content, the most important question we can ask is why? Why would we do this? Is it just simply tradition? Or is there something that's underlying this that serves as a foundation that propels us and catalyzes us into it? And in the book of Acts, it's important to consider the context of what's unfolding here in chapter 2. But just before this, just before this day of Pentecost, Jesus has been crucified as a criminal. But then he was raised from the dead on the third day, declared innocent by God. And then 40 days later, he ascends to his heavenly throne where he rules over all the nations of the earth. And in Acts chapter 1, we have this profound declaration that Jesus is the king of all the nations. It's important because this is a particular context, and this is a particular commitment, and it's a particular conviction that underlies everything that goes on in Christian worship. That the conviction that God has been victorious against sin, against death, and against evil is the thing that catalyzes Christian worship. That Jesus, in rising from the dead, has been proclaimed victorious against all these things that are the enemies of all human beings. And friends, until we grasp that the grace shown to us in the victory of Jesus, until we really understand that and own that, worship will, worship will always be something quite boring to us. Or it will be something that we feel like we're on the outside of. We'll always be like that kid at Second Presbyterian. We'll be counting the ceiling tiles. We'll be sitting out in the narthex, escaping for water. Or we'll be staring out the window behind the pastor looking at the trees. All the things that we can do inside of a, of a worship service, all the things that we can give our attention to, it will never be profoundly meaningful until our lives are gripped and renewed daily by the grace of God. 
But in the death and resurrection of Jesus, when this announcement, this proclamation that God has been victorious in Jesus, when that grabs hold of us, what we hear is that our sins, all of our guilt and shame, all the things that are stacked up against us, all the debts that we have with God have been canceled out, that they've been removed. And so this does something to us. It catalyzes worship. But there's more. It's not simply that you've been forgiven. This news that we hear through the death and resurrection of Jesus means also that we have a secure place with God and that God is with us in the present life. And through all the difficult providences we may endure that nothing can separate us from the love of God and that this too catalyzes our worship and we give thanks to God. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, we also hear the good news of God's victory that will come. That this Jesus, who has been proclaimed victorious in resurrection, will come to renew all things, and those same powers of resurrection will visit the entire world. And that all of his who believe and trust in him will be raised to newness of life, and that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It's all of this grace that we could go on and on about. It is that grace that catalyzes Christian worship. And our great task is to always keep that grace central. It is the fulcrum on which everything depends. It's the catalyst for active, deeply engaged worship that we see here in Acts 2. And so as we enter into the fall, that is the challenge to us, that we have this participatory life together, engaged with God, spiritually exercising ourselves, coming ready to do so, engaging with all of that content that God assigns to us, and doing so joyfully and gladly. And knowing that it is the grace of God, all of that grace, the height, the width, the breadth, and the depth, everything about it, that is to catalyze what we do before him. And so take up the challenge. If you find yourself perhaps feeling on the outside of Christian worship, sometimes feeling like it's odd and strange, that's not unusual. Christian worship demands that we develop the appetite for it, that we learn this grammar, we learn how to engage in the content that God assigns, that we learn how to actively participate, and that we learn more and more about this catalyst. And so take up God's invitation. If you do feel yourself on the outside, is an invitation to go deeper to be more profoundly engaged and involved, to hear what God promises to you. Because it is in recognizing that deep promise that praise then simply erupts, that worship is generated. And so let's ask God for his help with that. Let's pray. Father, we do give thanks because you have set us apart and you've called us into your courts to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. We're not worthy to do so, but through the death and resurrection of your son, you have qualified us for this, and you have placed your spirit in our hearts 
that we would say Jesus is Lord. And so God, help us in all the ways to offer our thanksgiving and our praise to you. That we be a faithful worshiping community gathered week by week to engage in all the content that you've assigned and to do so actively and with vigorous participation. God, we ask that you would sustain us through the catalyst of the gospel, that we would recognize all that is ours in Jesus. Go with us in these months ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.